Chapter Twenty One of Abraham Lincoln: A History, Volume Five. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Abraham Lincoln: A History, Volume Five, by John Hay and John George Nicolay, from Williamsburg to Fair Oaks. The evacuation of Yorktown took General McClellan so completely by surprise that a good deal of valuable time was lost in hurried preparation to pursue the retiring enemy. Franklin's division, after their fortnight of delay on the transports, had been disembarked. They were hastily returned to their boats. Several hours were consumed in having the commands properly provisioned for the march. The evacuation was discovered at dawn, and it was noon before the first column started in pursuit. Johnston, by this time, had taken his entire command to Williamsburg. Knowing that McClellan's advance would soon reach him, he made his dispositions at his leisure. He posted a strong rear guard there under Longstreet to protect the movement of his trains. The Union cavalry under George Stoneman came into collision with this force about dark and was repulsed, losing one gun. The main body of the pursuing army came up during the night under the command of General Sumner, Heitzelman, and Keyes. It is strongly illustrative of General McClellan's relations with his corps commanders that neither of these generals had any orders from him as to the conduct of the battle, which was inevitable, as soon as they overtook the enemy, and there was even serious doubt as to which among them was in command of the forces. Sumner had been ordered by the general-in-chief to take command in his absence, but these orders had not been communicated to Heitzelman who thought that he was to take control of the movement. There was some confusion of orders as to the roads to be taken by the different commands, in consequence of which Hooker came into position on the left of the line and Smith on the right. The contrary disposition had been intended. The morning of the 5th came with no definite plan of battle arranged. General Hooker, following his own martial instincts, moved forward and attacked the enemy at half-past seven and was soon hotly engaged. He fought almost the entire rear guard of Johnston during the whole forenoon. Heavy reinforcements thrown against him checked his advance and caused him to lose the ground he had gained. Hooker speaks in his report with much bitterness not wholly unjustified, of the manner in which his division was left to fight an overwhelming force, unaided in the presence of more than 30,000 of their comrades, with arms in their hands. And we searched the reports of General McClellan and the Corps commanders in vain for any adequate explanation of this state of things. Later in the day, Hancock had a hard fight with greater success on the right. The whole day was bloody and expensive and without adequate result. The zeal of Heitzelman, the heroism of Hooker and Hancock, and their brave troops were well-nigh wasted. There was no head, no intelligent director, no understood plan. McClellan arrived late in the day and was unable to contribute anything to the result, although the cheers with which he was welcomed showed how fully he possessed the confidence and affection of his troops. He had not anticipated so early an engagement and was spending the day at Yorktown to dispatch Franklin's division up the river. 
actual contact with the enemy however made as it always did an exaggerated impression upon him the affair which when he heard of it at yorktown seemed to him a mere skirmish with a rear guard acquired a portentous importance when surveyed in the light of the bivouac at williamsburg amidst the actual and visible signs of a sanguinary conflict his dispatch to the war department written at ten o'clock the night of the battle betrays great agitation and his idiosyncrasy of multiplying the number of his enemy as a matter of course asserts itself i find general joe johnston in front of me in strong force probably greater a good deal than my own after a compliment to hancock he continues i learn from the prisoners taken that the rebels intend to dispute every step to richmond one can only wonder what he expected them to say i shall run the risk of at least holding them in check here while i resume the original plan my entire force is undoubtedly inferior to that of the rebels who will fight well thus while johnston was profiting by the darkness to prepare to continue his retrograde march at daybreak mcclellan was nerving himself to stand the risk of holding his ground at williamsburg while he resumed the original plan of a movement by water the next day when he discovered that the enemy had moved away leaving their wounded on the field of battle his apprehension of attack subsided but other difficulties rose before him he telegraphed on the seventh to the secretary of war until the roads improve both in front and rear no large body of troops can be moved johnston had apparently no difficulty in moving his troops which mcclellan thought a larger body than his own reaching a place called baltimore crossroads johnston halted for five days and after receiving intelligence of the evacuation of norfolk and the destruction of the merrimac apprehending an attack upon richmond by way of the james river he ordered his forces to cross the chickahominy on the fifteenth two days after this the rebel army encamped about three miles from richmond in front of the line of redoubts that had been constructed the previous year it was a time of great apprehension almost of dismay at richmond the confederate president and most of his cabinet hastily sent their families to places of safety mr davis whose religious feelings always took on a peculiar intensity in critical times had himself baptized at home and privately confirmed at st paul's church there was great doubt whether the city could be successfully defended the most important archives of the government were sent some to lynchburg and some to columbia but general johnston had reason to confirm his opinion that mcclellan cared little for time the latter remained several days at williamsburg after he had ascertained that the enemy had disappeared from in front of him his visions of overwhelming forces of rebels were now transferred to franklin's front on the eighth he telegraphed the war department a story of eighty thousand to one hundred and twenty thousand opposed to franklin but in full retreat to the chickahominy on the tenth he sent an urgent appeal to washington for more men claiming that the enemy are collecting troops from all quarters especially well-disciplined troops from the south his own army would inevitably be reduced by sickness casualties garrisons and guards as if that of the enemy would not he therefore implored large and immediate reinforcements in a tone which implied that the president could make armies by executive decree 
if i am not reinforced he says it is probable that i will be obliged to fight nearly double my numbers strongly entrenched in face of a morning report of over one hundred thousand men present for duty he says i do not think it will be at all possible for me to bring more than seventy thousand men upon the field of battle he still protested stoutly against the original organization of his army corps and asked that he might be permitted to break it up or at least to suspend it he disliked his corps commanders and naturally wished his friends to exercise those important commands he blamed the corps organization for all the trouble at williamsburg and said if he had come on the field half an hour later all would have been lost the president was greatly wounded by this persistent manifestation of bad temper but bore it after his fashion with untiring patience and kindness he sent an official order authorizing mcclellan to suspend temporarily the corps organization in the army of the potomac and to adopt any that he might see fit until further orders at the same time he wrote a private letter to the general full of wise and kindly warning he said i ordered the army corps organization not only on the unanimous opinion of the twelve generals whom you had selected and assigned as generals of divisions but also on the unanimous opinion of every military man i could get an opinion from and every modern military book yourself only excepted of course i did not on my own judgment pretend to understand the subject i now think it indispensable for you to know how your struggle against it is received in quarters which we cannot entirely disregard it is looked upon as merely an effort to pamper one or two pets and to persecute and degrade their supposed rivals i have had no word from sumner heitzelman or keyes the commanders of these corps are of course the three highest officers with you but i am constantly told that you have no consultation or communication with them that you consult and communicate with nobody but general fitz john porter and perhaps general franklin i do not say these complaints are true or just but at all events it is proper you should know of their existence do the commanders of corps disobey your orders in anything when you relieved general hamilton of his command the other day you thereby lost the confidence of at least one of your best friends in the senate and here let me say not as applicable to you personally that senators and representatives speak of me in their places as they please without question and that officers of the army must cease addressing insulting letters to them for taking no greater liberty with them but to return are you strong enough are you strong enough even with my help to set your foot upon the necks of sumner heitzelman and keyes all at once this is a practical and very serious question for you the success of your army and the cause of the country are the same and of course i only desire the good of the cause general mcclellan accepted the authorization with alacrity and the sermon with indifference he had once formed two provisional army corps giving fitz john porter the command of one and franklin of the other after leaving williamsburg and joining his army at cumberland landing he reiterated his complaints and entreaties for reinforcements that it was not in the power of the government to send him his apprehension had grown to such an extent that on the fourteenth of may he telegraphed his conviction that he would be compelled with eighty thousand men to fight perhaps double my numbers in front of richmond and begged that the government would send him by water apparently he did not want them to come overland all the disposable troops every man that could be mustered 
the president anxious to leave nothing undone to help and encourage him replied to these importunate demands first by a friendly private note in which he said have done and shall do all i could and can to sustain you i hoped that the opening of james river and putting wool and burnside in communication with an open road to richmond or to you had effected something in that direction i am still unwilling to take all our force off the direct line between richmond and here he afterwards sent a dispatch through the war department received by mcclellan on may eighteen of which the essential points are as follows the president is not willing to uncover the capital entirely and it is believed that even if this were prudent it would require more time to effect a junction between your army and that of the rappahannock by the way of the potomac and york rivers than by a land march in order therefore to increase the strength of the attack upon richmond at the earliest moment general mcdowell has been ordered to march upon that city by the shortest route he is ordered keeping himself always in position to save the capital from all possible attack so to operate as to put his left wing in communication with your right wing and you are instructed to cooperate so as to establish this communication as soon as possible by extending your right wing to the north of richmond but charged in attempting this not to uncover the city of washington and you will give no order either before or after your junction which can put him out of position to cover this city the president desires that general mcdowell retain the command of the department of the rappahannock and of the forces with which he moves forward events as little foreseen by general mcclellan as by the government and which had by him been declared impossible the defeat of our forces in the shenandoah and the movement of a large rebel force to the upper potomac prevented the execution of this plan but it is worthy of notice that immediately on the receipt of the president's instructions while he was waiting for mcdowell to join him general mcclellan evinced no gratification at this compliance with his wishes on the contrary he lost no time in protesting against it and asking that mcdowell should be placed explicitly under his orders in the ordinary way in his report and in all his subsequent apologies for his campaign he makes this positive assertion this order rendered it impossible for me to use the james river as a line of operations and forced me to establish our depots on the pamunkey and to approach richmond from the north this charge is an evident afterthought we will permit it to be answered by general webb who is always the friend of mcclellan and is partisan wherever the writer's intelligence and conscience allow it he says after quoting the claim made by mcclellan in his report it is but repeating the proper criticisms made by other writers that general mcclellan had frequently mentioned the pamunkey as his prospective base that he made no representation to the government at the time that he wished to be free to move by the james and that it was within his power during the first three weeks of june when he found that mcdowell was again withheld from him to follow the latter route on one point there can be no question that the position of his army as already given along the left bank of the chickahominy from bottoms towards new bridge on may twenty with the white house on the pamunkey as the base of supplies was one of mcclellan's own choice uninfluenced by mcdowell's movements it required ten days after the fight at williamsburg for mcclellan's headquarters to reach cumberland landing on the south bank of the pamunkey and on the next day he established his permanent depot at white house near by 
on the twenty first the army was brought together and established in line on the chickahominy the right wing being about seven and the left about twelve miles from richmond from which they were separated by two formidable barriers the rebel army and the river with its environment of woods and swamps its fever-breathing airs and its sudden floods the chickahominy was first attacked general mcclellan began at once with great energy the building of several bridges over the stream a work of special difficulty on account of the boggy banks which made long approaches necessary in this work and in a voluminous correspondence with the president in regard to reinforcements which we shall notice when we come to treat of those movements of jackson in the valley that caused the division of mcdowell's force he passed ten days he pushed the corps of keyes and heitzelman across the river and retained those of sumner franklin and porter on the north side the monotony of camp life was broken on the twenty seventh of may by a creditable feat of arms performed by fitzjohn porter and his corps near hanover courthouse where he attacked and defeated a rebel force under general branch the chief value of this engagement was its demonstration of the splendid marching and fighting qualities of the troops engaged general mcclellan was greatly annoyed that the president did not seem to attach sufficient importance to this action but general johnston in his narrative while not diminishing the gallantry of porter and his troops or denying the complete defeat of branch treats it merely as an incident of branch's march under orders to join general joseph r anderson which was accomplished the same day at the point designated for this junction there was no sequel to the fight porter and his victorious troops marched back to camp on the twenty sixth of may general mcclellan informed the president that he was quietly closing in upon the enemy preparatory to the last struggle and that he would be free to strike on the return of porter but several days elapsed without the blow being struck until the enemy as usual accelerated matters by himself striking it had been for some time the intention of general johnston to attack the union army before mcdowell should join it and learning on the day of the battle of hanover courthouse that mcdowell was leaving fredericksburg he resolved at once to strike mcclellan's force on both sides of the river when we consider that the consolidated returns of the army of the potomac for the thirty first of may showed an aggregate of a hundred and twenty seven thousand one hundred and sixty six officers and men of whom there were ninety eight thousand and eight present for duty with two hundred eighty pieces of field artillery and that general johnston's force amounted to upwards of sixty two thousand effectives we cannot but think it was a fortunate circumstance for him that he did not attempt to carry this heroic plan into effect at night when he had called his general officers together for their instructions johnston was informed that mcdowell's force which had been marching southward had returned to fredericksburg he then abandoned his idea of attacking mcclellan on both sides of the river and reverted to his former plan of assailing with the greater part of his force the two corps on the south bank as soon as they had sufficiently increased the distance between themselves and the three corps on the north in this plan as in the other one and we shall see farther on that the same was the case with general lee general johnston does not seem to have been greatly troubled about a possible initiative of general mcclellan mcclellan evidently had no suspicion of johnston's intentions 
at the moment that the latter was calling his generals together to give orders for the assault mcclellan was telegraphing to washington richmond papers urge johnston to attack now he has us away from gunboats i think he is too able for that johnston's purpose was finally adopted and put in action with great decision and promptitude on the thirtieth d h hill informed him that the federals were in force at seven pines and that the indications were that all of keyes's corps was south of the river to which johnston immediately responded by telling him he would attack the next morning orders were given to throw twenty-three of the twenty-seven brigades of which the confederate army consisted against the two corps of heitzelman and keyes the rest were to observe the river by the meadow and new bridges after the plan of battle was arranged a violent storm of rain came on and continued most of the night this was a welcome incident to johnston as it inspired the hope that the river might overflow its banks and sever the communication between the two wings of the federal army he did not permit the rain to delay him though the swollen creeks and soggy woods retarded the movements of his troops the division commanded by d h hill attacked casey's division of keyes's corps with great impetuosity about one o'clock in the afternoon of may thirty one keyes's corps supported later by that of heitzelman defended their ground with gallantry and pertinacity against the forces of hill aided and supported by the divisions of longstreet and huger but when night came on they had been forced back more than a mile and a half east of the position that they had occupied in the morning the forces under g w smith accompanied by johnston in person were in reserve near the junction of the new bridge and nine mile roads on account of a peculiar condition of the atmosphere the sound of the musketry at seven pines had not reached johnston and smith but about four o'clock johnston having been informed of the progress of affairs in longstreet's front determined to put smith in upon the union right flank being by this time relieved of all fear of a reinforcement from the other side of the river fortunately for the union cause the forces immediately opposite this position were commanded by general sumner an officer whose strongest traits were soldierly ardor and generosity he had been ordered as soon as the firing began to hold himself in readiness to move to the assistance of his comrades at fair oaks but he gave these orders a liberal interpretation and instead of merely preparing to move he at once marched with two divisions to the two bridges he had built and halted them with his leading companies at the bridges in this manner an hour of inestimable advantage was saved the swollen river soon carried away one of the bridges and the other was almost submerged when the order came to sumner to cross without delaying a moment on the west bank sumner marched through the thick mud in the direction of the heaviest firing and repulsed the attack of smith who had been pressing the troops under couch the latter at fair oaks having become separated from keyes's main force at seven pines this union success was the result of sumner's straightforward and unhesitating march his appointment to the command of an army corps had been bitterly opposed and never forgiven by general mcclellan he had been treated by his commander with studied neglect and disrespect and this magnificent service was his only revenge about seven o'clock the confederates met their severest mischance of the day 
general johnston received at an interval of a few moments two severe and disabling wounds the firing ceased terminated by darkness only johnston is careful to say before he had been borne a mile from the field the command had devolved by seniority of rank upon general g w smith there was great confusion and discouragement in the rebel councils jefferson davis found hope in the suggestion that the enemy might withdraw during the night which would give the confederates the moral effect of a victory early on june first the battle was renewed and the union troops reoccupied part of the ground east of seven pines that had been lost on the day before at two o'clock after the battle had ceased general lee took command and during the night the confederates withdrew a great battle had been fought absolutely without result the confederates had failed in their attempt to destroy mcclellan's two outlying corps but their failure entailed no other consequences the losses were frightful upon both sides the union army in the two days lost five thousand thirty one and the confederates six thousand one hundred and thirty four but there was this enormous difference between the condition of the two armies the union troops south of the chickahominy though wearied by the conflict with ranks thinned by death and wounds had yet suffered no loss of morale on the contrary their spirits had been heightened by the stubborn fight of saturday and the easy victory of sunday north of the river lay the larger portion of the army which had not fired a gun nor lost a man in the action jackson was in the valley of the shenandoah detaching from the main army a force of sixteen thousand men the enemy had thrown two-thirds of his whole force against mcclellan's left wing and had received more injury than he inflicted our right wing was intact the material for bridging the upper chickahominy had been ready for three days even so ardent a friend of mcclellan as the prince de joinville writes the federals had had the defensive battle they desired had repulsed the enemy but arrested by natural obstacles which perhaps were not insurmountable they had gained nothing by their success they had missed an unique opportunity of striking a blow but the next day and during the week that followed the enterprise assumed so many difficulties that mcclellan could not have been expected to attempt it the rains continued the sluggish river became a wide spreading flood the ground a mixed mass of clay and quicksand afforded no sure standing place for horse foot or artillery most of the bridges were carried away the army virtually cut in two by the river occupied itself in the arduous work of entrenching general lee the ablest officer in the southern confederacy his mind put entirely at ease in regard to an immediate attack upon richmond had leisure to devote himself to restoring the organization and morale of his army and bringing from every side the reinforcements that he was to use with such effect a month later in the bloody contests from the chickahominy to the james End of chapter twenty one